0: what's up good people all around the world this is the dripping in black podcast i'm your host david v lewis the dripping in black podcast celebrates black excellence all across the world This episode is no different. We have someone by the name of Kanita Smith. Kanita, say hello to the world.
1: Hey, everybody. How are you?
0: All right. So we're going to get into quite a few topics, but I want to begin today's podcast by just giving a little background to the people. Tell them a little bit about Kenita Smith, where you started, um, where you got your start at, where where were you born, things like that.
1: Well, I am from the Midwest. I was born in Champaign, Illinois, a very small city <laughs> that um, is known for the University of Illinois. And I could not wait to get out of Champaign, <laughs> and I moved to Atlanta. I was in 2016. I was a sophomore in high school, and so moving down south from Midwest was a lot different. Yeah. than what I was used to but it was a great experience I always wanted to come to Atlanta because of the Cosby show I wanted to go to Spelman like Rudy yeah and uh so you know that was my dream I, I migrated here as a teenager and I stayed here and I've been here since since 2016 mm-hmm. um yeah started off with my college education here uh, mm-hmm. at Georgia Perimeter now Georgia State I've always wanted to be a doctor. So I wanted to be a doctor since I was six years old. Went to school with that in mind. And I ended up finding out that I was pregnant with my oldest biological son now um, Mm -hmm. at the age of 21. Mm -hmm. And so I went through college as a single parent. Had two sons um, in college. And as soon as I realized I was pregnant with my oldest son, I decided that residency and being a single parent was not the best option for me because mm-hmm. I wanted to raise my son. I didn't want anyone else to raise him. Yeah. So I decided what's the next best thing. And that was nurse practitioner. So I went and applied for nursing school at Georgia state and I got in and I was doing fairly well up to my junior year um, in nursing. When I realized I was pregnant with my youngest son or mm-hmm. at the time, youngest son. And um, I was just devastated. I was like, I have one year left. And I couldn't afford regular market value rent, so I was living in the projects of downtown Atlanta. And if any of you are familiar with Atlanta, the boulevard, North Avenue area is just not the safest uh, to be in. But that's all I could afford. And I just had one year left to get out of college. So that's what I wanted to do was just get get done. Um, So I went to school clear up and through my pregnancy. And ended up having to sit out anyway because I had complications. Because I did not sit out during the pregnancy, um, and in that time, I ended up switching my major to business administration and concentrating in healthcare management, thinking that I'll go back to nursing school. And that's how my story began and why I do what I do with my mission today.
0: All right. Wow! So that's that's quite a path that you were taking on. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: A and lot so- different. You talked a little bit about your mission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So your mission includes uh, a nonprofit. Yes.
1: Right? Yes, it does. What, what is a
0: nonprofit for people that, that for a layman like me?
1: Um, so basically a nonprofit is a, a business organization or an organization. It could be a foundation or not. It doesn't have to be considered a foundation, but there's a service to the public that is done through this nonprofit organization and it's just tax free. The The government, federal government does not tax organizations for providing the services and it's supposed to be a public entity. So no one owns a nonprofit. Even though I founded the nonprofit, I don't own the nonprofit. We don't mm. have shares um, that we own at 100%. So anyone can take over your nonprofit. That's why your board and things are important to have people that you trust on the nonprofit. So it's it's really just a public service entity.
0: Okay. And in, in the name, it has nonprofit. So, is that true about nonprofit that there's no profit to be made?
1: It's not true. I think that's one of the major myths um, when it comes down to starting your nonprofit. You can make money, um, you can have a good salary with a nonprofit. However, it has to be proportionate. So you have to look at at comparables uh, with other nonprofits. What size are they in terms of revenue size, in terms of how many people you support in the public? And then you look at other salaries within the same field that you're interested in serving. And you compare what are other nonprofits doing and you have a, a reasoning for your salary um, what you proclaim as your salaries and the salaries that you set in the organization. So you can you can make a a good amount of money, but it does have to be reasonable and you do have to show due diligence as to how you came up with that compensation.
0: Yeah. So that's great information for somebody that wants to start a nonprofit.
1: Yeah. You must definitely. really do
0: your research, right?
1: You do. And yeah. a lot of people don't. They just say, I want to get grants, so I'll start a nonprofit." Mm-hmm. But you really have to think of this as a business. And it's a harder business because you don't have a product to sell. You're trying to sell a heart mission. And mm-hmm. for some people, maybe if their mission doesn't um, tinge on the heart a little bit, then they'll be trying to figure out, well, how do I get people to buy into my mission? So it, it, it's not as easy as people think.
0: Okay. Wow. So let's talk specifically, uh, what is your nonprofit?
1: Well, my nonprofit is called Hope Inc. And that stands for Helping Other People Be Empowered. And we help low-income single parents that are in college with rent and childcare up to $400 a month, as well as financial training and counseling while these parents are in a school. So if they're obtaining an associate's degree, then we'll help them for up to two years. If they're obtaining a bachelor's degree, then we'll, uh, we'll help them for up to four years and basically just off of my own personal life story. You know, There were not a lot of services for single parents that were in college. They had services for you if you wanted to obtain a diploma or a certificate mm-hmm. at a two-year college. But if since I was going to a four-year college, I was unable to obtain CAPS um, from the government, which is child care assistance or um, other financial means so Mm -hmm. I thought that you know we need to have something that supports this demographic a working single parent that is not homeless but just needs a little bit of help to get to the next level
0: wow so that's almost full circle for you right actually living that experience and then coming up with this concept and making it come to fruition about yes. a nonprofit that's actually helping people that was in the same position we were in.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Do you, do you find that to be a uh, a story that happens a lot with people that form nonprofits?
1: I do. I, I feel like those that have been founded by leaders, um, they start that way. People are taking their own personal stories and applying that and a need that they may have had and they meet the needs of others based on what happened with them. Um, exactly. So, And those... Seem to be always the most passionate um, leaders and make the best spokespersons for their nonprofits because of that passion that they have about what they do. Yeah.
0: So what year did you start your nonprofit?
1: I started in 2009. So mm-hmm. it's been going on for almost 11 years in November.
0: What's the biggest difference between 2009 and 2020?
1: Wow. <laughs> I would say the biggest difference is my confidence in, in the ability to share the story and be able to sustain the nonprofit. When I first started, I did not have any nonprofit experience. Mm-hmm. As I said, I was in corporate America in healthcare, mm-hmm. And so I just researched. I thought of this program. I ran it by a doctor friend of mine. And I said, what do you think about me starting this? And he looked at me and said, you have to do it. And I'll give you the seed money to get the 501C3 done. And mm. I figured out how to apply for that. And voila, here we were. But I didn't have any donors. I didn't have any grants. Mm. I didn't know the first thing about writing a grant. So I, d- I didn't really know a lot of information. I just went straight for the paperwork and figured out on the back end what I needed to do to sustain the organization which a lot of people do today. And I tell people not to do that necessarily to come in with a plan, because you have to know what your program is going to do. Cause you don't have anything to put into a grant proposal. If you haven't done anything, you're not going to just get grants immediately. Yeah.
0: Now, so um, somebody uh, is utilizing what your nonprofit is offering. How does your nonprofit benefit them? I guess another way to say that is if I'm somebody who's low income, mm-hmm. do I contact you? And then what does that contact look like? And what does it end up doing for me?
1: Okay. They do contact us, but normally what they would do is go on our website. Our website is H-O-P as in Paul, B as in boy, org. They go there and mm-hmm. they look under the services to see if they are eligible because we do have requirements. Like I said, we we have a certain demographic, so we're looking for single parents that have a 2.7 GPA or higher, Mm. are obtaining an associate's and bachelor's degree, and are U.S. citizens and have been working for at least six months. They don't have to be working full-time, but just working for at least six months, Mm. and they also have to be enrolled in school full-time, not part-time, because our goal is to get you out of school within six years, which is the average time frame for most students that aren't single parents. And once they realize that they have met those criteria, then they would go to our application site, and they would apply, go through the eligibility quiz, and then apply online. Mm -hmm. Once they apply, the program director will contact them if they have presented all of their documents showing the verifications that we need, and they seem to still meet the requirements on paper. Then we have an, an interview with the program director, and she just gets a feel of the goals. and how long they have left in school and kind of why they may need our assistance. Mm -hmm. And then they would be passed on to me if they still seem like a good fit. Because again, we're looking at the drive of the individual. Mm -hmm. And then I have an interview with them as the final interview. It's normally face to face, but since we have COVID-19 going on right now, we do everything virtually. (laughs) (laughs) So, Um, And after they meet with me, then they know if they've gotten into the program or not. And we look at their income and budget to determine how much we'll assist them with. And we'll start paying directly to either their landlord or leasing management, or if it's childcare, directly to the childcare facility.
0: Okay. So do you wanna tell the world what kind of effect you've had over the years? Like how many people has been impacted by the non
1: You know, I, I look back at that and it's really amazing because, like I said, to start it started from the ground up, and yeah. I started with helping two people um, after fundraising for a couple of years. Started wow. with two people. Year to date, um, as of 2019, we have had, um, we have a few more this year, but we'll go with 2019 numbers. Yeah. As of 2019, we've helped 65 single parents, and out of that 65, 10 are enrolled in our program, and we have 40 that have graduated from our program with either associate's or bachelor's degree. So that's over an 80% graduation success rate with our program. In addition to that, we've helped 131 children. Because if you know, if we help the single parent, we we have a dual effect on the children. So they're migrating in their grade levels. They're going to college. And, uh, and 40% of our participants were the first to graduate within their families. Yeah. So, I mean, just the trajectory that has changed um, in their life. The income—most of our participants made under twenty thousand when they came to us a year. Mm-hmm. Now they're making forty thousand or over fifty thousand. Over forty-five percent are making over fifty thousand now. So mm-hmm. it's just—it's—it's it's amazing the impact that it's had. And yeah. a lot of our graduates give back to our program as well. So we see life change. We see life changing all the time within our yeah. organization
0: such a far-reaching impact, right? Not yes, just on the person yes. that it touches, but they have a child with them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And That's then you said breaking some strongholds from the past by graduating from college
1: absolutely. and
0: opening all kind of opportunities for people after them. So yes, you have to be proud of this work.
1: I am. I am. I was pretty amazed because as you do the work every year, you really don't look at the numbers. I know that sounds strange as as a leader. That's mm-hmm. the first thing you look at, but I'm looking at the revenue numbers more so mm-hmm. than the program impact numbers. And then once I started to really pay attention to wait a minute, we've had this many graduates, we've had this many children go through our program, I was just floored by the fact that at 10 years when we celebrated our 10 year anniversary, that this is what we've accomplished. And like I said, from an idea in my office 10 years ago.
0: Yeah. So if you had one wish that you could have granted to take your organization, your nonprofit to the next level, what would be that wish?
1: You know, what I think has been great and different for us is that we've had great success with our grants. Um, Most nonprofits have 20 percent or less in grant funding, but we have 65 percent. That's wonderful. But when it comes to sustainability, long term, you always want to have the individual donation support mm-hmm. higher than the grant support because if all foundations go away, you still want your nonprofit to exist. Yeah. Um, so for us, we've done fairly well in terms of when I started, we had, like I said, no donors to eleven donors to now we have a database of over three hundred and ninety-seven donors. Wow. But that's people that give have given a couple times or may give monthly. We have quite a few to give monthly. So if I had a wish, I would want to increase the number of monthly donors that we have to sustain the organization further. And I would like to increase the number of major donors that we have to balance out what we do in grant money, because if that money is there and the support is there from our donor base, the program is going to continue to be successful.
0: Excellent. Hello world. You heard that you've heard the call. (laughs) Ask the call. (laughs) There's uh, great work being done here. All right. So there's a few more things. There's this run that you do every year. Yes. Tell us about that.
1: Well, um, I do a run. It's called the, we have coined it the Neon Dion run, but it's really the Dion Lewis Memorial Hope run. And it's in honor of my late husband, Dion Lewis, who passed away of bladder cancer four years ago. And he was just such a bright light to everyone that met him, everyone that knows him. And he always encouraged me. When I met him, we met um, at the job site, actually. We were both in corporate America, and he was a mentor to me, and we started off as great friends. And he encouraged me to do this nonprofit. And I remember before he passed, the one thing that he made me promise is that I would not give up on hope. So I told him I would not give up on hope. And I also promised him that his legacy would live on through me and through his son, um, Dion Lewis Jr. And I just thought of a great way to honor him. He loved this event. When we did the 5K, he was always involved. He loved to participate. So I said, you know, one of our previous board chair members said, why don't we name this after Dion?" And we mm-hmm. call it the Neon Dion Run because he was so bright. Everyone come out in their neon gear and they run, and it has grown every year. We've um, actually gone worldwide um, with it being virtual this year, but before that, it's been on CBS 46 News, which is a great news channel here in Atlanta. It's been on that channel for the last three years. So Dion has gone worldwide, and his legacy and what he stood for has gone worldwide. And so I just think it's a great way to honor him um, and support a great cause. So this year, we have it um, scheduled for September 21st through October 7th, and people can go to our website and find out how to register, and they can participate from anywhere in the world um, during that time frame, and or walk if you want to walk, to be a part of the Neon Dion Run.
0: Excellent, excellent. All right. So the next thing that I want to speak on, and then I'm going to come back and ask you about your social media presence and uh, the names and ways people can reach you. But I would be remiss not to mention your faith in all of this.
1: Yes. Tell us a little
0: bit about <laughs> your faith and how it's impacted all that you do.
1: Um it, It's so interesting. I grew up, um, I'm a Christian first and foremost, and I grew up um with a grandfather who was a deacon. And so I've <laughs> always loved church when I was little. Um, but I grew up Uh, you know, just as a kid, you love church, you go to church, if that's something that you do in your family, and and that was, and so for me, it just seemed like something to do, but then when you get older, you kind of, you know, fall away from the faith here and there, some of us, not all of us, Um, but I found myself back at the foot of Jesus at 25, a young age, and I felt that God was calling me into ministry, and I had no thoughts of being a minister whatsoever. <laughs> As I told you I wanted to be a doctor. So I, I fought this for quite some time. And that was one of the things that my late husband and I, we really connected on because he saw the call on my life and he sort of mentored me in that area. And um, so when he and I married, he I did my first trial sermon two weeks before our marriage and I got my um, ordination and license and went forth in ministry. Uh, And I think it's shaped what I do just because it gives me value for people, you know, the state and the need of people. And it allows me also to be a witness to them. Although I don't have a faith-based organization, I do feel like my organization is faith-based just because I'm faith-based. So I'm able to be the hands and feet of Jesus um, and provide that hope for people. And I think the only way I got through all that I've gone through as a single parent, and gone through losing a husband, and just battling um, the disappointments of life, and in all of that, I yeah. would not have been able to have the faith and the hope that I needed to keep going if it was not for my for my faith.
0: Yeah, and I, I just think you're remarkable in so many ways. Uh,
1: Thank you. Every
0: challenge that you've had. You've overcome them. Uh, You've taken those challenges and turned them around to be blessings for others. Mm, So this is what this podcast is about, celebrating Black excellence in all forms. All right. So let's talk about your social media presence. How do people find you?
1: Well, I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of an old head, so I don't know much about TikTok and (laughs) all these Snapchat and all that. I don't have that, but... I have Facebook, I have Twitter, I do have an Instagram. Um, a lot of our of my Instagram is around my organization, but my Facebook, I have one for myself personally, as well as for Hope, the organization. So you can definitely find me on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Twitter is at Kenita47, and then Facebook is Kenita Smith, and my Instagram is at HopeInc1, if you're interested in looking for that.
0: All right. Excellent. Give them the website to Hope Inc. as well. One more time.
1: Okay. The website is H as in Harry, O as in Oliver, P as in Paul, B as in boy, E as in elephant.org. All
0: right. Ms. Camita Smith, thank you for gracing us with your presence.
1: Thank you for We're having
0: happy me. Again. You came on with us and uh, we look forward to checking back in with you and seeing how things are going after those donors increase.
1: Definitely, definitely. (laughs) Speaking into existence. (laughs) Indeed, indeed.
0: All right, so thank you for coming out and thank you for blessing us with your presence.
1: Absolutely, thank you for having me. All
0: right, one more question I want to ask you, uh, Kenita. Sure. Have you ever been on the cover of a magazine?
1: I don't think I have. (laughs) I don't think I have.
0: Well. Oh, wow here at dripping in black our guests are placed on our dripping in black magazine
1: that is awesome (laughs) oh that is cute
0: there you are we will get that cover to you at a later date
1: thank you that is that is unexpected i appreciate it
0: Yeah. yeah thanks again
1: you're welcome thank you
2: Anchor is the easiest way to create a podcast. Not only is it free, it has all the tools one needs to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Additionally, Anchor distributes your podcast to all major platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Anchor is an amazing one-stop shop for podcasting. Download your Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: Our thanks again to Kenita Smith. Uh, we thank her for coming out to the podcast um, and look forward to seeing the great things that she's going to do in the future. She impacts so many others in so many ways. Um, the backstory with her is she is the wife of my late brother, Dion James Lewis, Sr., and also the stepmom of my nephew, Dion James Lewis, Jr., who you may have seen in a previous episode as your favorite dancer. So that's the connection there. Uh, Just thank her for all that she's always done and uh, how she's always held uh, the family down in that regard. So thank you again, Kenita. So we have reached a point in the episode where we get to the last drip. The last drip, as you know by now, is the last bit of black excellence that we like to share before we leave you. In this episode, we're going to do something different. What we've done in previous episodes is tie in something from our past, our black history that matches the excellence uh, that we've been talking about throughout the course of the episode. But this thing kind of developed organically. Uh, My partner behind the scenes, uh, Sean Smith, actually did a recording. And I think it is a fitting tribute to my late brother. So I'm going to pass it over to uh, my friend. Uh, and partner homeboy uh, you know dripping in black uh, comrade uh, Sean Smith aka S Squared and until next time the rest of you be good, be good, be good it is a choice
2: an indicator that a man led a good life one look at the company that he kept and two years after he's gone, when people mention his name, they still tear up and have fond memories of him. Although I never met Dion Lewis, this is in tribute to him and his walk. I met your wife, Kanita, which is a beautiful spirit, along with your son, Dion Jr., and of course, David Lewis, David B. Lewis, as he like to say and um, you kept good company and when they talk about you and when they talk about you they still tear up and have to catch themselves and that's a great indication that you were a good man on behalf of dripping in black and all the higher ground education resource family we give this tribute to Deion lewis you the great man, and your legacy still lives on. Much love. Peace.